0: In today's episode, episode 25 of In Light of the Gospel, I'm talking to a man named Nathan Pearl, who lives down in Hawaii, of all places. It was really neat the way we got set up together. I posted to Facebook that I was looking for a guest for my podcast, and Nathan's wife suggested that I talk to Nathan, which I was more than happy to do. I'm very honored and pleased to have him on my show. I've listened to his dad's teaching, Michael Pearl's teaching for many years and have really admired the work that Nathan himself has done in his work in Papua New Guinea with his sister many years ago when he was a teenager and now in these later years in his um, church ministry in Hawaii. And uh, we get into his life story, his upbringing, his childhood from ministering to hippies and drug addicts and uh, um, former uh, soldiers and sailors to the Amish and the Mennonite and the the really religious people in the hills of Tennessee. So I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. We get off on quite a few rabbit trails, but it all sticks in light of the gospel, and it was a real pleasure for me, and I think uh, he enjoyed his time as well. So God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. And please share these videos and like and subscribe and do all those things that people ask you to do. I appreciate you again tuning in. God bless. Well, here we are. I'm in Canada, Southern Ontario. Nathan Pearl's with me from way down in Hawaii. I'm at three in the afternoon and you're at uh, 10 in the morning or is it nine in the morning? Eight.
1: Oh, nine in the morning. Nine in the morning,
0: right. So amazing what technology can do. I've got a lot of criticisms toward technology in the modern world, but this is pretty neat. So uh, I've known about you for many years. I've, you know, I've listened to a lot of your dad's stuff, so I've heard bits and pieces and stories surrounding your family. But when I, when your wife mentioned that I should talk to you, I realized, like, I know so little about who you actually are, right? I've seen some of your sermons online. I've seen that you're down in Hawaii. It's kind of strange to me that a Tennessee boy would be out there, but uh, take us back. (laughs)
1: Let
0: us know what, uh, what was it like in childhood? One thing, actually, I should point out that I do remember about you in particular your dad said that at a very young age, and he may have said like four or five or six years old, that you would sometimes walk around the yard praying, uh, praying for the lost people of the world or or just constantly mission-minded. So I, I know you're no saint, but give me your uh, childhood story.
1: Well, I would argue that I am a saint today. Yes. was born again <laughs> and washed in the blood. Um, so I uh, to start young, uh is there a connection issue?
0: It says it's unstable, but I can hear you just fine
1: okay um so to start from when I was young, uh my dad obviously was in the ministry um and it it didn't we didn't know we were in the ministry he was uh he, he loved people by teaching them the Word of God and uh when we were growing up in Millington, we were on a uh, small farm, small property, about four acres, a uh, house that dad built. He had a cabinet shop on one end, and uh, we, we uh, uh, had a pond in between, so we swam and fished and uh, run around in the woods and the farmland next to us, and um, it was a great way to grow up. That was during the days. In the evenings, we were off and out dad teaching Bible studies, so uh, some of my earliest memories are sitting in I think it was the, called the Serviceman Center in Millington, Tennessee, with 25 uh, Navy guys and the Book of Romans opened and dad teaching through the Book of Romans. And it's not like he did today. These were guys that were there between boot camp and whatever was next. He had them for uh, outside maybe 16 weeks and uh, he'd meet them down on the street or uh, at one of the ministry outreaches. And then teach through everything he could in two months, and wow. so it was pretty quick through the Book of Romans, uh, through the Book of Hebrews, and it wasn't. Uh, none of that stuff was filmed. Some of it was taped, uh, but it wasn't. It wasn't an expectation that this is for anybody except for these six or seven guys in this room, or twelve, or whatever it was. Right. And so a lot of times he would teach the same the same Bible study three or four times a week uh, because he was uh, it was different groups that were on different rotations. They were, uh, they were off at whatever time. And we saw so many of them get saved. Uh, We saw, I I grew up with those guys, uh, guys like uh, Ben Sargent who uh, has been a Titan in the faith since then. Um, And, and uh, Steve Chanel, who's a missionary, um th- these are the guys that I knew growing up and I didn't know we were in ministry. I just thought it was a normal fun outing. Uh and my mom would cook and support and do all the stuff that needed to get done, the logistics, so dad could be out there preaching. And then um street ministry, passing out tracks, that sort of thing. Uh Sunday was spent um mostly uh uh with uh Navy guys out at a place called Victory Valley where we played pool and um, hung out, did, did play softball, whatever. And then dad would give them the gospel. So my growing up, I think my, my, uh, logic center has been more affected by the book of Romans than anything else. It's Hmm. my, like, when I think the way that I think, the way that I order, uh, my thoughts, I, I recognize the book of Romans, uh, and Paul's, uh, one two three out of there because that's what i grew up with that's that's where i was established uh by the time i was eight we moved out of of uh that area moved up to the amish community that we really grew up in in middle tennessee right. and uh again it was a wonderful life it was uh i i think i think if you picked the ultimate um life of carnal pleasure, it would be something along the outskirts of an Amish community. It would be uh growing vegetables, uh handling animals, uh, your families running together. I mean, if I had the choice between uh a Wall Street uh going to parties all the time and and making uh you know millions of dollars a year and seeing my own tomatoes grow with my family around me carnally speaking the tomatoes wins every time it's it's a better life uh well you you might
0: not win the vote there across the population though
1: you probably wouldn't because they haven't experienced it right there's this there's a materialistic culture that we have that says the guy that dies with the most wins and i reject that i don't believe that i think that the the real joy that we have. Well, Solomon said it in Ecclesiastes. He said, I find there's nothing better than to work hard, mm-hmm. to sleep well with the woman that you married and loved and raised your kids. There's nothing better than that. And I can and
0: attest uh, to that.
1: Yeah. And God uh, created us with perfect harmony in a garden with our woman, uh, raising kids together. I think there's nothing better. So what an awesome childhood to grow up. Uh, there at the outskirts of the community, we were we were completely broke all the time. Uh, <laughs> we bailed hay on a uh, old we had, we were super modern, so we had a Briggs and Stratton uh, ten horse two cylinder uh, motor on our baler with a thirty pound flywheel with shear pins on it, and then we pull that behind a couple Belgiums And uh, <laughs> I I spent much of my years between between nine and twelve lugging around 30-pound bales of hay because that's all we could handle. Uh, 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 There's five of us boys, my brother and me and my brother and another family. So uh, it was a a beautiful way to grow up. But then in the middle of that, uh, because my dad loves the Lord, loves the people around him, when we got there, some of the guys uh, challenged him. Uh, He had a great big beard. Uh, he looked like what we called the Amish wannabes when they came in. Uh, they were the guys that that had no idea, but they kind of wished that they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we weren't. We didn't, we weren't trying to be Amish, uh, but uh, they they assumed that I guess about my dad. So I spent a lot of evenings around the table with the shirks and the Stoles and the Millers and. Um, and listening to them discuss, um, theological truth. And, um, the, uh, it it left a deep impression on me as to the difference between the light of the gospel and the fear of works, the fear of a, of a earned salvation. And, um, it was, uh, it shocks people. Even last week I was preaching and I mentioned something about the guys I grew up with, um, and how many of them got saved. And somebody came up and said, I would never think of the Amish ever needing to get saved. It seems like they're the most religious people ever. And I said, yeah, that's what they're getting saved from.
0: Exactly. And,
1: uh, it's exciting. It's so, it's so liberating. Uh, one of my, one of my friends struggled for years and uh, he gave me he gave me his testimony a while back, and he said he was reading, and he read the passage, "Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy, and my yoke is light." And he read it, and he thought that's not true, that that's mm-hmm. not true at all. My the yoke is not easy, the burden is super difficult. And married to the back of that thought was, then I'm wrong, and right. uh, so then all of these. Passages got restacked in his mind in a few moments, uh, and he saw grace. And uh, much like Luther in the 1500s, he he exuberantly embraced the grace of God and uh, the righteousness of God, and got born again from a verse that I would never think this is the one I'm going to go to to spread the gospel. You know, All right? Uh, but but we grew up there with these guys around the table and. Um, and they would go back to, uh, back to the process of salvation, much like, much like Pilgrim's Progress, that we're going to struggle and and add to this until we get to the place to where we're worthy of the grace of God, and uh, it uh, it struck me how precious it is to be born again, to be uh, free from that. Um, I suppose I should say back when I was about six or seven, I went to, of course, I listened to dad preaching all the time. I went to uh, uh, different groups and camps. And my mom grew up uh, with something called Child Evangelism Fellowship. And uh, my grandmother did. And we went to some of the camps. And when I was about, oh, seven, six, maybe six years old, I went to a uh, class with a lady named Miss Louise Boswell. And she gave a gospel message that I would consider terrible today, uh, just because <laughs> of its its simplicity. But but there was a bunch of kids, and it was a hotel thing. And I understood that I had a responsibility before God that did not that was not assuaged by my relationship with my parents. It wasn't it wasn't removed by the fact that I handed out tracts or that I was a good boy. Uh, I needed to be born again. So I. I professed faith in Christ when I was six years old. I I prayed and I asked, I thanked God for born of me again, and I was excited. I went and told my parents, and they were like, "Okay, yeah," because I probably did that a hundred times when I was young, you know. But that was the time I got saved.
0: Okay, this is where we're kind of at as a church and as a as a family personally. We have uh, I have seven children. The oldest is now 19 and the oldest four have all professed faith and have been baptized and all that good stuff. But sometimes at five, six, eight, ten, 10, you know, you could easily get them to confess something and pray a prayer. But it, very few people that I'm seeing in the second generation Christianity are getting that same passion and that same fire or the same type of dedication to the gospel where it's they just accept it as the obvious truth. Like it's well, yeah, of course, that's right. But why wouldn't that be the correct thing?
1: So I'm getting ready to uh, I'm going to preach a shindig in uh, in South Dakota in a month and uh it's funny how I ended up there I was I was driving here and and um, the Lord gave me a message I, I, I just in a moment I, I I just wanted to preach this thing and all of these verses lined up for me about being a third generation believer or second generation believer. And the idea of a outcome oriented faith. In other words, I'm saved because I act saved. I'm born again because that's my culture. And uh, and this is a terrible place to preach that. Most everybody's first generation believers. And I was like, Lord, why are you talking to me about this? And then uh, a day or two later, they called me and I, it's been my policy not to not to go to shindig's. Uh, not, not because there's anything wrong. It's just because that's not the ministry God's put in front of me. Okay. And so, uh, uh, I, I said, yes, that I'll, that I'll come speak because God gave me this. Um, and it's a, uh, it is a, uh, I think, I think it's a real trap and it's, we're not the first problem. We're not the first generation with it. Um, when you have, when you have a family that parents get bored again, uh, And they start training and raising their kids intentionally godly. um, We end up with a godly culture. And that godly culture can replace um, faith in Christ. And if we read the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. um, And he said in in, uh, Revelation, I'm sorry, uh, John wrote to the Ephesians in Revelation uh, chapter 2 this is about a gener- this is the next generation so paul writes this letter to the ephesians a beautiful letter of encouragement and then a generation letter john writes uh, later john writes this letter and he says listen i'm about to come and take your candle i'm a- i'm about to, d- to to destroy your church and you're doing everything right you're you're working hard you're you're laboring for the lord and you're working hard he says it twice he says listen you hate bad doctrine you're doing everything right except you forgot me. Hmm. And if I'm not the center of what you're doing, then I'm coming to take your candle. And that's our problem with second generation Christians. Uh, I, I got married as a virgin. Now that's common in our community and our upbringing um, here. People have a hard time believing me. Yeah. That, I can that, see that. that doesn't happen. Uh, it's weird. I'm a weird dude. Um <laughs> I, uh, my wife and I were both pure until marriage and, uh, still are because it's, it's holy what God's given us. Right. So, so this purity is, uh, weird other places. And yet I look back and I go, that's not my fault. The the fact that I don't cuss, it's not part of my vocabulary. Uh, the fact that I've never, I've never overcome drugs and alcohol because, why on earth would I do that? Right. Like there's, I've, I can honestly say I have never been tempted to do drugs. And yet I know I have all kinds of friends that struggle with it for years and overcome it. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful testimony. Um, I've never been able to, to stop using God's name in vain because I never started. Right. I, that would be, I mean, I'd have got a whooping if I did that, that would, that's a non-starter. Uh, so that you can see, there's a difference between a righteous culture and a f- and a righteous faith in God. Exactly. It says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God." Well, look at the Mormons. These are righteous guys. They don't they don't drink uh, beer or, or whiskey, but more than that, they don't drink coffee. I mean, they add all kinds of weird rules to the stuff they start with. Uh, they have all kinds of Uh, missions work and things that they do. And yet these guys are lost and on their way to hell, but look at them living their faith. They're better than the Baptist. Uh, What about the Catholics? Not so much in Canada or the U S but you go over to the Philippines and you've got some people that are obsessed with righteousness, right? Uh, You go down to South America. Why does their righteousness not count? Paul said, listen, when I was a, when I was a Pharisee, all my righteousness was as filthy rags. It made no difference. It wasn't righteousness, because the focus of my righteousness was my righteousness, not God. And when we get to uh, First Corinthians thirteen, Paul's talking, and he says, "Look, if if I have every gift, if I can speak with the voice of an angel, if I can heal everybody, if I have all faith, if I give everything that I've got away, but I don't love. But it's not just love; it's charity." It's God's love through me. If I don't have God's love in me, when I'm giving all this away, none of it makes any difference. Hmm. There's no righteousness here if it's not based on what God did and and because of him. And so uh, there's that. uh,
0: the verse that Jesus says, he that is forgiven much also loveth much, right? And so sometimes, like I grew up in a Mennonite community, I a lot of Mennonites do get into drugs and alcohol. I personally did not. I stayed away, never drank, never smoked, never did drugs, never slept around, all that good stuff. And yet when I came to see my sinfulness, I felt completely undone. I recognized how sinful I was. But now my children, on the other hand, they their culture has be- become even more purified, right? It's not, we don't go to church just to fill in the checklist we don't read our bibles just because we have to like just there's, there's a real life around it and so now they grow up under that teaching and the gospel now is clear for me doing good things was clear going to church was clear but now for them it's it's obvious that jesus died for them they understand that and in a way i'm i'm happy with that that they would just automatically in their minds graduate to recognizing that okay christ took care of this right but to get that passion, to get that zeal for ministry and reaching out.
1: Yeah. The, um, one of the most striking, uh, events I should say in my life, uh, was a Bible study that I was in when I was about, I was about 12, maybe. And, uh, when I was there, I met two men the same night. The one guy was what we'd call an Amish wannabe. He was, um, uh, college educated. Um, I think he was an attorney before, and he'd given it all up and was living on a farm. Uh, didn't use money, he only bartered and uh, extremely poor. Um, uh, obviously, since there's no money and people aren't that excited about bar- bartering anymore, and uh, and he worked his way through the book of Matthew. Um, and it, the Bible study was at his house and he was so broken, so so broken with of himself that this is just not working. I'm mm. you know, I like I I didn't go see somebody and they were sick. I'm not gonna go to heaven. I gotta I gotta go see them, you know, and uh it was it was so depressing. And this other family showed up and the the old dude had long all of the guys had long hair and they smelled like pot and they were, uh, they were hippies lived in a bus. Uh, <laughs> they grew up, the the parents grew up through the sixties. So all the free love garbage, all the drugs, dad was in Vietnam, hard cursing, a rough crowd. And, um, the, uh, so they, they showed up and my dad got to preach that night. They went around and different, different guys would share. And dad gave the gospel And uh, one of the several members of that family got the the hippie family got saved that night. And when we left this this fellow that was so righteous, so obsessed with righteousness, just looked like the pinnacle of righteousness. Like this was his whole life was was how to become more like God, more righteous. And the other guys just seemed like absolute hippies. Hmm. And they the hippies asked my dad to come preach to them uh, and, sh- and have Bible studies with them, and so that's what he did. We got to know him better over the years. And uh, the young men that that uh, the the young fellow that saved that got saved that night, man, he had his long hair, but he would he would do something, hit his finger with a hammer or whatever, you know. Where the rest of us were like, ah, he, you know, he starts swearing up and down and uh, struggle with all kinds of stuff and every year he became more christ-like every year he became more interested in the word of god and walking with the lord and in love with god the other fella after oh maybe eight six or eight years later uh put a 30 30 in his mouth and ended the struggle because it was it was impossible it doesn't matter how how righteous you become you'll never attain the righteousness of god and and it was, it was, uh, it, his genuine struggle ended when he ended his life and went to hell. And, um, uh, it's, it, it, it wasn't until years later that it hit me because I knew them both right through this, through this period. Uh, and it hit me that, uh, that's the difference between the grace of God and earning the righteousness of God is the freedom. He said, you've been called into liberty, the, the freedom to walk in peace and truth with God, and, and then not knowing that peace ever, the peace right. that passes, understanding the Prince of Peace. There's no peace in the book of Matthew. If you're trying to, if you're trying to, to maintain the Beatitudes, there's no peace in that. Um, that. That happens when Christ is the Lord of your life, and, mm-hmm. and you walk towards him, not towards your own righteousness.
0: So someone pursuing righteousness apart from God, like the Jews, where they had a, a zeal of righteousness, right? They really wanted to do what was right, but they did not understand or accept the righteousness of God, which comes to us through Christ. It leads either to extreme pride and arrogance, thinking that you've crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, or it leads to complete depression and, you know, just a, a forlornness, right? Where you don't know what to do because you'll know you'll never measure up. That's the honest one. You know, the yeah, guy who finally... Right. Finally, recognize right. that there's no way he could do it. At least he's honest. Where the the hypocrite becomes the one who thinks that he's actually doing it. He is getting all the t's crossed, right?
1: The irony is the the guys that the Amish guys that embrace that that I know, right? They they uh, talk about uh, presenting their emptiness to God, their their humility, and mm-hmm. you have to be an empty vessel for God's grace to fill you. What a what a place of arrogance. What what a place of self-sufficiency that I can get to the pot, spot that I'm empty enough to deserve the grace of God. I mean come on brother that's not ever going to happen. You're right. it's called grace, God's unmerited favor. You're never going to be empty enough of self in order for him to you come as a broken vessel and and not one that's ready to be filled, one that's ready to be cast out, and then he'll make all things new.
0: The accusation then would likely be something like, Well, then you just believe in a repentance-less gospel, we just continue on sinning, and it doesn't really matter what we do.
1: Well, I think that's answered clearly in Acts 2:38, right? So, so Peter preaches to the to the uh. Pharisees, they are basically preaching to the Jewish nation that had just killed Christ, and he and he goes through the litany of what they've done, and he says, "You've killed the 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 holy one of God. You've killed the Messiah." And their response is, "We agree. We did this. We need him. We need we we he is the way to heaven. We recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Now what? What do we do?" And he said, "Repent." Because mm-hmm. of this, repent and be baptized. Repentance doesn't make you ready for God. Repentance happens when you encounter God. And there's this, there's this desire to formalize a relationship with God, to, to come and say, okay, well, you need to, you need to repent, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this in order to receive this. And it, it's not that way at all. It's it's there's no difference between believing and repenting. Okay. I mean, you can't you can't believe and re- not repent. You can't repent not believe. There's that's the same. It's the same word. It's a different look at the same heart issue. You can't believe and repent not confess. He says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth unto salvation. Right. You can't say, well, I believe God, and I'm I'm repenting towards him. He's going to be my God now, but I don't want to tell anybody about him. I don't want to talk about this. Well, listen, brother, if you believe that Jesus died for you, you you can't sit on that. You're going to tell people about that. And if you can sit on it, I'll submit to you. You haven't put your faith right. in him. You don't know him.
0: No, some people will go out um, and try to tell somebody in order to make the faith genuine, right? But it, it, it doesn't work quite either.
1: It, it, that, that doesn't work either. And that's what the, book, the whole book of Galatians is about then if you're going to clean up your act in order to uh, either get or stay in the faith, if that's the point of it, then you don't, you don't understand it to start with. Mm-hmm. Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel uh, from the grace that I, that I gave to you. I'm, I'm, I am i am i I cannot believe you would do this and they were what not eating bacon. I mean, it sounds so innocuous, but uh I think more people ought to not eat bacon, probably, just because we Americans are all fat. But uh, the uh, when you do it for being accepted, that becomes a big issue.
0: They were also going to the extreme of potentially uh, putting the knife to themselves, right? Getting the circumcision and all that. So they were pretty serious about trying to pursue righteousness in addition to Christ, it seemed.
1: Yeah. Well, and and a lot of it was cultural. Right. Jewish culture. They were trying to accept Jewish culture in order to be worthy.
0: So you ended up in uh, Middle Tennessee, in the hills. You're 12, 13 years old. You're seeing hippies and Amish folks alike coming to Christ. But it doesn't seem like... We segued a bit there, huh? Yeah. (laughs) It seems like that's not a bad rabbit trail to take.
1: Yeah. Well, so I... uh... I guess we were about I was about 16 maybe when we got a hold of a video called "Ital." You ever seen that new transmission?
0: It, it really made an impact on me for sure.
1: Right. So we were seeing ones and twos over the years. Ministry especially in in a culture that's that righteous is slow. Right. Um and uh It's not not exciting. It's fun to see ones and twos and threes, especially in your community, people you love, people you grow up with. Um, But we saw your towel and we thought this is where it's at. This is what we want to do. Uh, Hundreds at once, right? Oh, man, wouldn't that be exciting? Acts chapter two (laughs) happened today. So uh, we went to my sister was I was still I don't know 15, 16 somewhere in there I guess I was younger than that anyway it doesn't matter. My sister went to new tribes missions and uh, up in Wisconsin and uh she was going to go go to linguistic school and then go to Papua New Guinea, which is really the last of the big uh new tribe type fields and uh so as she, she, she started pursuing that, there was a, a crooked road that ended up, they, they had some doctrinal issues with uh, the Bible basically. And so um, she ended up at a school in Texas and going to uh, getting her linguistics degree and then went to Papua New Guinea. And when I was 17, I accompanied her to New Guinea to uh, the a tribe that was up on top of a hill um uh, out in the middle of nowhere. We flew in about 80 miles, landed on a grass strip, uh, hiked over the mountain and into a village. Uh, and, uh, I built her a house, played bodyguard when we were in town. Uh, and I turned 18 up there on the mountain. Wow. Um, it was again, awesome. It was idyllic. I climbed into waterfalls that probably haven't seen anyone since Adam. And, uh, I got to, uh, you know hike in the woods with pygmies hunting cassowary it was incredible what is
0: cassowary to interrupt uh,
1: it's like an emu okay like a like a like a small ostrich i see um and uh and so we had a we ended up there for the, the the uh the community there the the tribe had come to christ in town about a couple of years earlier and uh the guy had gone to Bible college and just said, I, I can't do this. I need to go tell my, my tribe. So he had left Bible college after a few weeks and gone back in the mountains to preach Christ. And that's only new. So I was, I was hiking with him one day and I asked him what all these sinkholes were. they were these random sinkholes. We we're up at about 8,000 feet hiking. And uh, he said, Oh, he didn't know what they are. He said, the, uh, the, the elders have superstition but since he's a you know a christian he knows the superstitions not true and i said well what's their superstition he said well they believe that um the one time that the world flooded that water came up out of the ground and stuff and the whole world flooded and that's what these sinkholes <laughs> are and i said you mean like noah's flood like, like in the bible that? he's and i was like you know like in the bible noah's flood And he's like I, what are you talking about so i told him the story and he's like really oh yeah that's what they are and he had he didn't know anything about that they knew Christ and that was all and wow. like he and so they did most of them didn't read didn't read well and uh he hadn't been saved that long and so uh we got on the radio and uh talked to my dad about it and uh, and uh over the course of a year or so is when the picture Bible the good and evil got uh, its roots. That was from Rebecca and I up in that tribe and needing to be able to tell them. And so, uh, I turned 18 there and, um, was, uh, traveled all around. I, I traveled over with that. One of that hippie fell. I traveled, he got, you know, after years of walking with the Lord, he ended up as a missionary. And so I went over and traveled with him in Southeast Asia.
0: He's still in Laos?
1: No, he's uh, back in Tennessee right now. Oh, nice. Uh, his kids are all grown. Yeah, but uh, the uh, the uh, then I went to uh, Israel and got to travel that with my with my siblings. That was that was awesome. And um, I um, when I was about, I guess I was about. That was when I was eighteen. I went to a conference with a missionary down in Texas uh, named Milton Martin, and he preached a seminar on prayer intercessory prayer and uh it really got a hold of me it's uh one of the big moments of uh, affection uh, uh, that have affected my life is intercessory prayer and uh this guy's the best missionary i've ever met uh he's obnoxious he reminds me of the apostle paul um he's a little bit rude or i guess it was he's passed on now he's in a hurry <laughs> he he doesn't he, he was always in a hurry. He he'd get up. I loved it. He'd get up to preach, and I uh, had dentures. And he would get up to preach, and he would say, uh, from the pew where he stood up, everybody would start with, uh, you know, oh well, thank you, brother so and so, and thank you, and this and that, and thank you. He never did. He'd get up and say, turn your Bibles to while he's walking up front, <laughs> and uh, and that no was time his, for that small his talk. Intro no 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 time at all he's in a hurry but he had won so many people in in uh, mexico to christ uh in south america uh incredible missionary and uh so the the uh that really uh affected me and when i was at that conference i met this this uh pretty redhead and uh the uh i had to wait a few years and then she became my wife nice. and so that was that was the uh where where I met her. Of course, we were pretty young then, um, so we had to wait a few years, but uh, that was a courtship that wasn't, we didn't do the dating thing and all that sort of. She was in Texas. I was in Tennessee, so we messaged our, there was no messaging, and we called back and forth, and uh, then I went, I asked my parents if I could marry her, and they said it's up to me, so I went to Texas to get to know her. I didn't really know her much until then, and didn't know for sure if I wanted to marry her, but I wanted to make sure I didn't pursue that and then get told no down the road Mm -hmm. uh, because their counsel is important to me. But uh, yeah, anyway, we've been married, uh, I think 22 years this year and Mm -hmm. uh, my oldest is 19 as well. So after, yeah, after I got married, uh, I came back to the community and was, you know, the cares of the world are a thing. You get married and you got to uh, build a house. Paul said, I wish none of you would, because if you do, you have to care for the things your wife cares for. We had kids. We had, uh, it's not that I didn't pursue ministry, but it was a church and um, I was swinging a hammer more than teaching Bible studies. Uh, and uh, it was good. It was a time of growth and, uh, and uh, it's appropriate uh, to, I, I have a problem with people that get into the ministry and get paid for it their whole life. And don't especially uh,
0: start starting at 23, 24 years old. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And don't ever, don't ever pursue life beyond uh, the pulpit. And uh, I, I have a problem with that culture. So anyway, I, I uh, built pole barns and put on roofs and um, raised kids. And uh, we deliver, I have four, we delivered them all ourselves and uh, had a, a wonderful uh, period. And then we did, we, we pursued, uh, teaching places. I went to Texas after hurricane taught Bible study down there. I taught some online Bible studies, um, back when that wasn't really a thing. And, um, I, uh, did Bible studies and preaching at the church. And then, uh, when I was, uh, I don't remember how old we were then, but anyway, I, I, uh, my brother called me and asked me to come run his business in Hawaii. And uh I felt like before that that God was telling me it's that we're about to leave. And so when my brother called, uh, I really felt like it was of the Lord. So we left and uh shut my business down and uh came to Hawaii, which was pretty scary. I and guess. uh And then I I picked up my brother's business and we ran it. I invested everything in it to keep it going and, uh, and spent two years working 60 hours a week to get that thing off the ground. Hawaii, they hate business. They hate uh, entrepreneurship. um, Anything that produces, it's just a a very liberal culture. Uh, Strange. And well, it's like California or or something where they're, where they're, uh, you know, they don't want housing there. It's a, it's a very, uh, very deeply blue state. And so, uh, I'm from Tennessee. You can, you have a lot of freedom there that you don't have here. Um, and so, uh, uh, and it's not just me saying it. If you look up Hawaii is one of the worst places to start a business in the U S. Um, so we, we, uh, worked at that in the first week or two I was here, I came to a church and, uh, we walked in to a tent and, um almost everyone was dressed inappropriately uh and to my way of thinking
0: right um from the hills they, they
1: right they played uh basically rock music worship music uh drums and electric guitars and whatnot and they got ready to sing and everybody raises their hands and um not not charismatic but uh not uh not necessarily uh what I was used to, let's say.
0: Pretty pretty um, emotionally driven.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, the first Sunday I was there, I said, I'm home. This is where I need to be. And the reason is because I'm a, well, the Lord was working on me. Um, And years ago, I, uh, I'd i worked with TJ. I, if You know, TJ, I, he had worked with me in, when he was on furlough. And I had such a great time. Uh, talking about the Lord, rejoicing together at work. Uh, uh, it, it's just uh, as a brother, uh, sharpness, the brother. You know, it's just it was just a good time. And then later, I worked with another guy that was a Christian, uh, Lee. We did a bunch of floors and just had a great time together, uh, worshiping the Lord and, and talking about the Lord. So both of these guys were gone, and I was I was hiring somebody, and I started praying, Lord, send me a a strong brother in Christ that I can just enjoy my fellowship with and the holy spirit said um are you hiding your light under a bushel mm. and uh it really convicted me and i changed my prayer and i said lord send me somebody i can witness to somebody that needs that relationship not somebody i can just enjoy right uh, and so i did he sent me a guy I, I witnessed to him for years he never got saved and so ne- ne- next time i promised to pray pray that i would find somebody i could witness to that would receive it <laughs> um But for years, I mean, he's a drunk and everything, but I got to witness to him and maybe he planted a seed. I don't know. I haven't seen him in many years. But when I got here and I got to this church that was that was not what I would pursue in a church. Right. Right. I realized that that I don't need to find a church that's like minded so that I'm comfortable. I need to find a church that I can minister to, that I have a gifting that adds to what they're doing
0: not that you no. were thinking that you would take over the church or be oh, not a pastor or anything no. like that
1: no i've never had any desire to be a pastor um and so uh the the uh i got involved right away moving chairs now mind you i was working all the time but i got involved moving chairs and and they asked me to to give my testimony um and uh, so i never missed an opportunity to <laughs> give the gospel i i stood up and and said, you know, I, uh, anyway, I gave my testimony, but I did it in such a way that allowed me to, to share the gospel. And, uh, and then I, uh, they said, oh, you can preach. So then they let me preach on a Sunday. Well, it's exciting to preach to, uh, uh my community, to my friends, to people, but how much more exciting is it to preach the truth to somebody who doesn't have it, that has a very small amount of truth. They're, they were teaching through the book of Matthew when I was there and didn't understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew's super confusing if you don't. It's it's When you take the parable of the Tid Virgins and try applying that to the church... It, that's difficult and confusing and weird, and
0: many people don't even understand the concept of the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? So that even if you right. could at least differentiate between you know these Israelite people and everyone else, that would help quite a bit, right? And
1: the covenants, yeah. yeah. Well, so I got to preach to these guys, and a message that would be uh, received well back home is new information to right. people. I got to sit down with people and talk about raising children. And in, in King Creek, where I grew up, um, we all have PhDs in raising children. It's our, it's our life's goal. It's our life's pursuit, right. To raise good kids. But when you go to somebody whose parents beat them and did drugs and alcohol, and they did Mm -hmm. until they got saved. And now that's four years later, how do they relate to their kids? Well, you say something like consistent and they start crying. And they're like, this is amazing. We need to be <laughs> consistent. And they're like, okay, I, I I hadn't started yet. You know, I'm like, uh, so how how much better is ministry if as the body of Christ, we're not just ministering to people that we know and agree with that already know the same things that we know, but we're ministering to people who don't, mm. who haven't been exposed to that. It's the reason that I that I have avoided chindigs. I I started to go there, and I was in the book of Timothy, and he said that they've heaped unto themselves teachers having itching ears, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I was convicted that I was going to places that everybody agreed with me. Everybody dressed the same, talked the same. Uh, Nobody took God's name in vain. Nobody had alcohol issues that I know of. People avoided pornography and believe the Bible's the Word of God. Why am I here? Right. What, what is the purpose of me being here? How am I taking the light of the gospel to somebody that needs it? And uh, I said, "Okay, Lord, uh, I'll listen. To, you send me there if you have something in particular. If you have, if there's something I can do." So I don't look for what in ministry. I don't look for what I'm comfortable with. What fulfills me what's interesting, I look for how can I get this group of people closer to Jesus than they were yesterday? How can I do that? And if we all stay in our communities, uh, we're blunting the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll submit that we we are robbing our children of the opportunity to be ministers if everybody around them has the same upbringing same background same desire same teaching that they have um, my kids went to a youth group meeting last night with a bunch of people that are uh, you know they're they're church goers, but they're charismatic uh tongue speaking um i don't think maybe one in 30 is christian um uh, same with their parents they, they're churchgoers but they don't they don't know or walk the faith um, but my daughter 17 got to pray with with a bunch of people a minister witness to and she said it was difficult because they had christian quote unquote rap music playing so loud that she couldn't hardly hear but she would get people off to the side my daughter's a minister and if we were in a if we were in a community that didn't play that kind of garbage you have a couple guys picking the guitar in the back singing hymns Who's she going to talk to that brings them closer to the Lord? But if we're in a, if she's in a group trying to talk over rap music and tell people about the Lord and and move them closer to Christ, now she's a minister. So
0: I, I guess the fear there in in most conservative type of Christian circles is that you get into a system like that, you get into a church like that, and you allow your children to infiltrate or to get in the mix of that. Very likely those kids will lead your kids the wrong way rather than your kids ministering to them. Right. Is there kind of like an age limit then that you kind of feel like, okay, I think this child is ready for this or they just need to see it from as young on as possible.
1: It's a legitimate concern. It happens right and left. I've made my children co-ministers. My dad did as well. I was out playing pool with, have you ever heard the term, cusses like a sailor? Oh, yes. I was playing pool with sailors when I was seven, six, eight (laughs) years old um, at Victory Valley and telling them about God. If you if you create a recognition that our identity is ministers, our desire and hope is to win people to Christ. If that's the culture of the family, then uh, there becomes a there's I don't want to say a wall. But there's a difference, right, between the, the minister and those that you're ministering to. And culturally, socially, we don't expect a parody here. When you don't expect that parity, um, it really decreases the influence that they have. Furthermore, trust Christ. If your children are born again. He said he has begun a good work as faithful to complete it. Trust him. Years ago, my my dad told a a Christian. Um, he said uh, that they, there was a camp and they had mixed swimming, and I was maybe thirteen. My brother's fifteen or 14, 16, something. Anyway, we're the age boys that you need to worry about mixed swimming, and uh, the they were saying, "No, no, it's okay." And my dad said, in my typical dad's obnoxious way of of communicating. I'd rather my boys hang out with hookers than your daughters in swimsuits. Man, they were offended. They were like, "That that is awful." Like, what? Why would you know? And his point was correct. Um, Okay. When you have parity in culture, in other words, when you're with the good Christian girls, and they are, uh, when they are exposing enough, these girls were wearing wearing one-piece swimsuits but if you've ever been a teenage boy a one-piece swimsuits not not That's enough to keep your thoughts to yourself right That's right so uh they're, they're designed not to be and so if you have a good christian girl that you go to church with and then you see her in a one-piece swimsuit that affects you a whole lot if you're mm-hmm. in thailand and uh or in hawaii and you see somebody that's barely closed, but you know that person's going to hell. You know that they're lost and they don't love the Lord and they're uh-huh. um, they're doing drugs, then it is a, it's a different it's a different uh, relationship that you have and and you recognize that there's us and them uh, as far as culture and, and now the, the Christians here still don't dress the way that I would. They don't dress the way our our kids do.
0: And they might never,
1: right? They probably won't ever. And that's okay. The Bible says that we're to dress modestly, right? To conduct ourselves modestly. Well, that doesn't mean the amount of clothes you wear. It means middle of the road, like a modest income. Right. That's what he's talking about. And he says, look, I don't want your focus on the outside. I want it on the inside. Right. Um, when When I was young in the community, we had a guy come in. Uh, what was his, I don't remember his name, but he wore a gray robe and uh, he parted his hair in the middle. And he was, uh, talked to my dad one time and he told my dad that, that he was going to hell because he parted his hair on the side and you should be like a sheep and part your hair in the middle. And he went to Ohio from Tennessee in a wagon. And um, he was trying to figure out if it's okay to wear, to use a covered wagon or not. Um, That was part of the cares of the world. And so uh, now, consequently, we later on found out he was molesting his daughters at the same time. But that's what religion will do.
0: Yeah. I went Um, to a church for a little bit after I became a Christian, and all I knew was Mennonite upbringing, but I came from a Mennonite church that didn't really take the dress code very seriously. The women wore dresses or skirts, but we weren't, you know, we were raised in Canada, so it wasn't that big a deal. So when I became a Christian, my standard of righteousness kind of shifted gears. And I'm like, I'm going to go somewhere where they're as plain as possible. So I went to a church that would have called themselves a plain church, right? So the women wore these big, long cape dresses and huge head veils. And I started to realize after a few years of being there that they were immoderate with their modesty. They they were so extreme right. that they wanted to be recognized for their humility, for their plainness, for their immodesty. And now they were no so longer the focus being becomes
1: the outward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was, uh, thought about this guy that, that he violated the, to dress modestly with a gray robe, because the first thing you ever knew about him was his robe. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I want to dress, uh, in a way that people don't notice me. They don't notice my clothes, especially when I'm preaching. I preach in an Aloha shirt with flowers on it and, uh, yeah, a loose pair of breeches. Because if I showed up in a suit and tie or Broad Falls in and in a shirt, uh, I'm comfortable in either of those. If I show up that way, it'll get noticed. And uh, I have I considered actually leaning into my Tennessean culture and uh, wearing blue jeans and a belt buckle and and talking with a draw. And it would bring a bunch of people to church that I could then witness to because it would be interesting. If you recall, Billy Sunday. The great evangelist who was a baseball player mm-hmm. he would run across the stage and slide into the pulpit like he was coming to the <laughs> home plate and then stand up so people would come to see the baseball player and then get saved right. so I prayed about it for about six or eight months uh talked to my parents about it what what is the level of appropriateness to have a shtick a a thing that brings people in um and uh, and then be able to witness to him. If I played the fiddle, let's say, could I play bluegrass and then and then preach so that I bring him in chalk drawing? Yeah. And I really I really felt like God was saying, I don't I don't want or need you to be noticed. Lift me up. If, if I am high and lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. I know yeah, the so, Apostle
0: Paul, he became all things to all oh, men that he might by any means save some. He would kind of meet them at their culture, but nothing more, like nothing showy or flashy, it seemed. He was just, Yeah. this is how you guys are. That's how I will be. Yeah. That's a good Up point. to and
1: including his Jewish culture. Right. The, the Nazarite vow, vow. Yeah. Yeah. Going in and shaving and all that. So, anyway, yeah, we came to Kauai, and uh, I ended up preaching the Bible college and teaching at the church and ministering left and right. We loved it. Um, but, honestly, I didn't want to raise my kids here. Uh, the church was great, but uh, the level of nudity on the street and the beach and everything is uh, disturbing. Right. And so, uh, I really didn't want to raise my kids here. And I don't like it. I like Tennessee better.
0: Uh, is that right?
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, you have to, you have to, uh, I'm, I'm in a cruddy kind of house. It's 4,200 a month. Um, whoa. Yeah. Uh, g- gas right now is six something a gallon, uh, for, or for diesel, I should say. Uh, food is, uh, it's crazy expensive. Let's put it that way. Everything's expensive. And so, uh, you have to work a lot. That has to be a big pursuit of your life is to, is to, uh, make money, and I don't like that. i don't I don't like pursuing money with my life. right so when when I finished the ministry to my brother, uh, I uh, told my friends at church goodbye, went back to Tennessee, got back into my business and started a, a uh, we started doing um, a what we call it Christian uh, disaster response unit. We started going to hurricanes and tornado places and stuff like that. and great place to witness, by the way uh, if, if go just make a hot meal, but then you get to pray with people and, and witness to them and, um, clean out their house. And that's the, when you go with the, with charity, with agape in your heart and desire and in your hands, uh, it's recognized. So great, great place to witness. So anyway, we did that ministry. We love it. My wife and I do, she can take a grill and make 2000 gourmet meals a day. It's insane. And, uh, so, so we fed people and, and ministered to people. And, uh, some of the guys that had gotten saved out of the Amish community did that as well. And, uh, and then, uh, we, uh, the, the pastor here, I was going to come put his roof on and, uh, cause he needed shingles and he had cancer. And so my wife, I took her out for a date, um, before we left, I think it was Thursday. We were leaving Thursday at lunch. So Wednesday night, we went out for dinner. This is what, November of 2018, and uh, and uh, the pastor from this church that we had ministered at when we were here called me and said, I don't need a roof. I need you to take over the church, and oh, uh, we had never desired that. I uh, don't like that. I like to work and then do ministry, um, and uh, this was going to keep us from doing that and so uh i went to uh my father-in-law who's a, a man of god and my dad uh, that evening and said this is what's in front of me i believe it's a phenomenal ministry it's just not what i want but is it what do you think and uh, they both said uh if god puts this in front of you pursue it and so uh I came to Kauai uh, with an 18-hour notice, and we moved over here to to start ministry without support. Uh, the church couldn't support us. Uh, all of my money was tied up in investments. We, we flipped houses and stuff. Um, I had a dump truck and backhoe and all of the things you use for construction, and they're all sitting you know, while I was here because I had no notice. And God took us to the edge. We picked out tents to live on the beach. Um, We were just right on the right on the edge. Uh, And uh, and I mean, the the church was very willing to help us here. People would let us stay in their living room. But I have four kids and we needed our own own family culture. Yeah. And and so uh, we. uh, God came through extraordinary uh, over and over, but probably the most extraordinary was we needed to get rent uh, because I had no business, uh, no, no income. Right. And we needed to rent something. And the the cheapest places out there were about three grand a month. And uh, so we were trying to get six months of rent. So uh, we, uh, I, I hate borrowing money from friends. Right. But but we were like, we're going to either end up on the beach or we've got to borrow $25,000. Now I've got a dump truck and a backhoe and a piece of property and stuff we could sell and liquidate, but we don't have time. Right. So, uh, and in the meantime, I was working constantly on the church. And, uh, so, uh, we said, okay, we'll bite the bullet and write these friends. So we or call. So my wife called and she asked if we could borrow 25,000 and without missing a beat, they said, no, no problem. I mean, it was a long shot to ask anyway. And they're like, you don't understand. God told us to send you that three or four days ago. It should Whoa. be in the mail today or tomorrow. And it's not alone.
0: <laughs> you should have just yeah. waited a little longer, right?
1: <laughs> well, God wanted us to know that, that we needed to reach out and that after reaching out, he said, m-m-m- "I'm sufficient. I own the cattle on a thousand hills." And wow! I didn't actually what a, actually comfort, what a comfort that
0: must have been oh, to know that. Okay, incredible. God's God's in this.
1: Yeah, and so uh, for about a year, we were hand to mouth, uh, struggling, and uh, financially. In the meantime, ministry was difficult awful struggle i've never struggled so much in my life i spent so much time on my face in the office uh asking god why what did i do to take him off to send me here this is just <laughs> awful uh just because there was there was issues with the church structurally financially spiritually and um uh, and god's faithful man so we we stayed put we did what we were told and uh i ask every day for God to send somebody else that's better at this than I am because I'm terrible with politics with with getting people to come together to do anything I love teaching the Bible the Bible's fascinating to me if I could stay in my office and study and then go work with my boys and then teach the Bible and go back to my office and ignore everybody else that would be great (laughs) But, but that's not charity
0: I understand the the sense though
1: yeah so uh yeah God God uh, took care of us and then uh, and then uh, we, we kept our heads down and kept doing what we were told and uh, we walked through some pretty difficult stuff and uh, with church discipline and with different things that were needed. But in the meantime, I got to preach the gospel to people that, that had never never considered the concept that the Bible is inspired as it stands in English, that, that the Bible is inspired. And uh, what a, what a cool thing to be able to trace trails through the Bible and show that it's perfect, that, hmm. that you can trust it fully and totally. I got to uh, rub shoulders with it and and teach people that uh, hadn't had the same upbringing of even the culture that, that the Amish community has that the Bible's preeminent, preeminent in our lives, that, that, that it is, if the Bible says it, then we're going to do it. Right. Right. So if the Bible says, don't have long hair, men, of course, we're not going to have long hair. If the Bible says, let the women keep silent in the church, of course, that's what we're Um, going to do. It's what the Bible says. But I get to teach in a culture that didn't, that that hadn't considered that the Bible has something to say about our everyday lives, about our haircut, uh, about the kind of, Jewelry we wear about the
0: and it and it was received,
1: um yes, these are Christians. these are born again children of God that love God, that God loves them in many ways, they love God more because he's forgiven much, loveth much right, and they're first generation. they're not cold and dry like you get with with guys that grew up in a church that know that they're righteous um. So I, I started uh, teaching through the Bible, and I still am. And uh, it's fun. It's fun to see the growth in people. It's fun to see them witnessing and ministering and uh, their families doing well and growing. And um, it's not that there's not a struggle every day. Uh, but
0: the difficulty is not in the, the teaching and the preaching and the reception of the gospel. The difficulty is in the politics and in making the system run and the financial aspect of things
1: yeah now the we i re i re-established the church over this last period um i don't know how familiar you are with different church cultures but calvary chapel is based on what's called a moses model which is where this this church got its start which is that the pastor is like moses he's the head and where the the children of Israel said we want to have some say in this and god said you want some say moses is my man okay Either shut up or get leprosy um that's kind of the culture of calvary chapel uh and and if you if you read the guy chuck smith the stuff that he wrote you know he said if the you have a board that answers to the pastor the basically the elders of the church answer to the pastor and if they disagree fire them and get new elders um, oh, nice. that's kind of the, the view and that's the way our church had been established. And, uh, it's not biblical. So, and they knew that at the church, they'd been working toward an elder led church model, but they struggled with it because, uh, to have an elder led model, the pastor has to give up the authority. And a lot of times, you know, better, right? <laughs> so to come in and say, I'm giving up the authority that's, even though I know better, I know better than you what you should be doing, but it's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That can be, that could be a tough position as a pastor, but I have been blessed with a group of men that love the Lord and desire to walk with him. And, uh, and, um, they were already ready to be elders. So I appointed over a couple of years and taught and, um, and walked that road with, with the elders. And then, uh, About six months ago, maybe um, eight months ago, we had a church meeting and I stepped down as quote unquote senior pastor and I actually stepped off the board of elders because it's too easy to have the position of authority while giving up the position of responsibility. And so uh, I I hold no, um, in other words, if everybody's used to doing what you say, if everybody grew up in a culture where the pastor is the is the Holy Spirit, so, so to speak, is the one that says, here's what you need to do, uh, um, then it's easy for people to say, what should I do?
0: Right. And then
1: you tell them, and then they okay. go do it. And you say, okay, well, I'm stepping down. Now, if you have a problem, not my fault, go talk to the elders. But if you mm-hmm. do have a problem, come to me and I'll tell you what to do. So you keep the authority, but let go of the responsibility. So I have been very intentional and stepped down and told the uh, told the elders uh, that I'm not even if they steer the wrong direction. I'm not going to step back in, and um, I'm not what, going to take What would your authority. Uh,
0: your official title or position. Be now then,
1: um, husband.
0: As far as the church is concerned,
1: none. I have no official title or position, but you still a, do
0: the majority of the teaching and preaching and preaching and leading. So I'm
1: a, I'm the preacher. Yeah, I'm 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 a preacher. But I what I did was, and I'm a pastor teacher. But the big difference is the definite article. In other words, I'm a pastor teacher, not the pastor teacher. A,
0: a pastor teacher, as in the gift, not in the title. As in the
1: gift. That's right. And there is no such thing as a. Um, pastor that we use where he is the Pope of the church. Right. The, the closest
0: so... thing, I mean, the I can see where the term pastor came from with the word bishop being somewhat similar. So that's where the only two positions I see in the church are bishop and deacon. And so we've kind of tried to structure our church in such a way where we have three of us that would be considered pastors or bishops. And then we have a deacon and we've tried to model that based on how the scriptures seem to indicate but I don't know, we, we may be way off in so many regards, right?
1: Well, it's very appropriate. Uh, and the biggest thing is, if the power is not in one man's hands, then um, there's safety in that. So if, if the elders have authority, and one of us goes off the deep end, then the other two bring them back. Right. And we're people, I mean, Paul the Apostle, who is arguably the best teacher, the best Bible teacher since Christ. Um, I mean, he did write most of the New Testament. Paul said, I've got a thorn in my side and I've prayed three times, but God's not taking it away so they don't trust the flesh, right? Because Mm -hmm. I have this issue of saying Paul did it. Uh, I kind of think Paul did it. I mean, Paul's the man in the New Testament. Yeah, But but he needed to be brought back down. Uh, How much more us today... Uh, Than Paul back then, who was totally committed to the to the gospel. How much more today? If we get a guy that has that kind of authority, does he need a thorn in the flesh? And so, yeah, I don't think any man should have that sort of authority. And the best thing would be if the if the teacher. And I'm kind of segueing again, I suppose. But Romans 12 and Corinthians 12, the giftings of the church. The best thing is if the giftings are are represented throughout the church so if i have a if you have a church and you have a guy that's a a gifted evangelist and and uh that he starts talking to somebody and instantly there's a connection and instantly they're listening and they get saved this is the gifting of evangelism if that guy that has been doing that until he's 50 and he's and he's worked and he's had and he's had a good family and he's had a good experience, becomes an elder, then the young guys that are gifted as as an as a evangelist would look up to him and come to him for discipleship and counseling. Hey, you've run into this before. What do we, and the guy that is a pastor teacher also has been exercising this gift until his 50s, and now he has in the same church at the position where he's now the leader and instructor for people that are so they can come and say i have this bible question and he can answer that for them and so forth the people that are if we're in new in the new testament style healing if there's a guy with the gifts of healing how does that work what does that look like a gift of prayer of giving and the guys that have exercised this for three or four or five decades are now the elders or bishops uh, and leading the church then that's what i think the new testament church should look like and then everybody else is going to be discipled by those by those guys which is why each one of them should be hospitable and each one of them should be given to teach right
0: there's the list of qualifications those things have to be there
1: right yeah and the difference
0: might vary quite a bit from one man to the next
1: right the difference between a bishop and an elder is if you're talking to hebrew or greek so that position for the for the uh, Greeks was a bishop, but if that if you're talking to a Hebrew, then that same position is as an elder.
0: Okay. So yeah, the way I, my mind was grasping it was that Paul would send Timothy or Titus back to these churches he had been to, and he would tell them to ordain elders, and they they had to be someone who's a little older, someone who's maybe been in the faith a bit longer than the others, because many of them were very new in the faith, right? Right. And so, elders older people were ordained to these positions of bishop and deacon. But you're saying bishop and elder is more or less the same term.
1: Yep. So the way that the Jewish culture was was uh, uh, ordered, right? So you had a synagogue. It had three elders, or Pharisees or Sadducees, which were the two different sects of the same religion. Okay. Um, so the Sadducees were the ones that didn't believe in the resurrection, and the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees were more literalist. The fa- Sadducees yeah. were more uh, allegorical with their handling of Scripture. Both saw themselves as the caretaker of the nation to, to bind them to God, to keep them from doing what, what ended up in captivity. So you have this... Uh, these two, these two groups, but of those, there were a group of, of elders, there would be three at each synagogue, and then the, the, the council in Jerusalem would have, I think it was 71, um, elders there, and each one of those elders had two or three understudies, so remember, Paul was the understudy for Gamaliel, yeah, that was, that he was on their, the, the main council of elders, and, and Paul was coming up under that, um, when the, the guy that that was the, the kind of the bad guy in the crucifixion, that guy was a Sadducee and uh, and his, the father-in-law who Christ went to first, if you remember, um, he, the reason that they went to him first was he was the, he was the leading of that council. And uh, he had his son-in-laws or sons um, in that position of, of the chief, Elder of the of the faith there, or the high
0: priest even right? the
1: high priest, but it's one and the same. But the the really the high priest would be of the temple, and the Pharisees and Sadducees were outside of that. They weren't necessarily Levitical, uh, Levitical, but uh, he was a Sadducee and was appointed by Rome, not by the people. Right, and it was very political. He makes it in a lot of Josephus stuff and things like that. But uh, the uh, so the 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 Jews already had this position of elder in the synagogue, and the church adopted that very quickly. It was a it was a cultural a norm. The uh, Greeks didn't have the same term for that. They had a they had a, a ruler, uh, a leader called the, the the bishop. and so that was the where that term came from.
0: So it's a suitable phrase or suitable word to describe those positions, but it was kind of adopted from the the local culture. So if you're stepped down from the elder role and you're just teaching and preaching, would you kind of see yourself a bit more as like a Timothy Titus or Paul to the church there and that you're kind of uh, segueing your life from there to eventually move on once they're established?
1: Um, My dad often said, and I adopted it, um, my job to work myself out of a job.
0: Right, I've, I've to, repeated yeah. that a few times.
1: Yeah, and so uh, I have a couple of young guys and older guys that I am discipling by opening the pulpit. So a couple times a month, they'll stand up and have a 15-minute sermonette while, uh, while I am uh, waiting, and then I'll finish this the message up, I'll preach. And often it's it's really cool to see the Holy Spirit dovetail what they say into the message that I've got. And then, uh, it's encouraging to them and they're learning, they're learning how to put a message together, how to present it, how to, uh, act. And then I get to talk to them about, here's what we could do different or better or worse or so forth. Uh, and, um, and disciple in that it doesn't, it's not like it's a long intensive amount of time. It it involves prayer and, uh, and availability. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, my my hope would be that it comes to the point where I'm superfluous, and I'm very very open that that's that's my desire um, to bring them to the level of teaching that I'm superfluous. Now I'm never going to not be a Bible teacher, right? But I would I would like to see I would like to go somewhere else that was like it was here when I first started, that okay. that, that uh, hasn't ever had in depth uh, what I consider to be in depth. Now they. Before I came, they considered them to have in-depth verse-by-verse Bible teaching. Um, but uh it just uh it's not what I grew up with, right? It's right. not it's it but not many places are.
0: Interesting. So yeah, I can definitely see even from our own experience that after years and years of working together with the same guys and in the same church, after a while, some of my comments that maybe come across a little harsh or critical might just feel like criticism. And it's not like a big encouragement to someone. So I'm thinking of your situation where some of the things that I maybe say that might offend my peers might really help someone who's just learning and trying to grow in the faith. And that's where I guess my YouTube channel has been somewhat gaining some traction where there's a lot of young Mennonite men and some women listening and and learning things for the first time, right? Seeing the scriptures open in a different way and hearing conversations like this, right? So
1: the cool thing about the body of Christ is that we don't all need eyeballs. We don't all need to be ears. We don't all need to be fingers. Right. The body of Christ is is amazing in its diversity. And uh, God has it called... Uh, one of the things I've struggled with, my, my dad's encouraged me to do more interesting uh, YouTubes, short, because people won't watch a 45-minute message or an hour-long message. Do short messages that are that are catchy and that that will get a million views. That way the gospel can be purple uh, spread out. And I've, pr- I've prayed about it intensely, and I feel like that's not my calling. Right. I get on and there's a lot of great shorts that are introductions into the scripture. If you go and try to find a good solid teaching on the book of Romans, I, I, you can't find it. Like I, I was driving and I wanted to hear somebody else teaching a while back, you know, you can't find it it's just, it's just uh fluff or it's Calvinist or it's, it's uh, any kind of ism. Um, right. It's inward focus. Uh, and so uh, I feel like my calling is not to be popular. It's not to get a lot of views. It's, it's to get a hundred men that love the Lord and want to learn um, growing in the faith, not, not introduced to it, but growing in it. I feel like that's my ministry. And, it's not a better ministry. It's a different one.
0: Exactly. Yeah. There's one. One could be considered evangelism, perhaps, and the other is more Bible teaching, right? Yeah. And your dad has done a lot of both, right? He's got the hour-long, right. hour-long messages as well, but he's definitely reaching a lot of people through his shorter videos, right?
1: I find the most terrifying verse in the Bible is to whom much is given, much is required. I don't know of anybody that's been given as much as me.
0: Is that right? Honestly.
1: Well, I grew up with dad as my... I grew up listening to him preach three or four times a week. I mean, find somebody else who's got that sort of um, input in their youth and in their life. Uh, I, I've i grown up doing ministry and um, with these awesome men of faith. And, uh, man, I ought to produce something with my life.
0: <laughs> oh, that's one if, way of looking at if, it. Oh, man.
1: If I'm not producing something etern- eternal, then what, what was all the fertilizing and the weeding for? Um, right.
0: Uh, I appreciate that perspective. that's that's quite something. I've got a son now, the oldest oldest two are girls, and they're maturing really well, working hard and you know, staying c- content while being single and waiting for the right guy to come along. but the the boy, the oldest one, he's now fifteen and he's strong and handsome and hardworking and all that good stuff, and he really desperately wants to do what is right and true and and walk in righteousness. but so often he's he struggles with, well, maybe it's not even a real faith that I have. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm pretending some of this stuff, right? And he wants to know how to make this genuine and real. And I, I guess I covet some of the experience that you've had for him to be able to see, you know, those military men and the people out in Papua New Guinea and those types of situations where it can happen here too. We've, we had a youth group that we started many years ago and it's transformed in these last few years. Um, we started it off by reaching just people outside of our church. There was mostly Old Colony and Summerfield Mennonite type of people who were coming to hear the gospel for the first time. And that was why we started the youth group. And now slowly it's transitioned over the last 10 years to where, you know, back then we would have one or two young people from our own church, maybe our own kids coming along while we are teaching the Bible. Now it's to the point where there's maybe the opposite. There's maybe 5% that are outside of our church and the rest is our own young people now. So the dynamic of everything has shifted so much. Our older children, they saw young guys come out of drugs, come out of alcoholism, come out of criminal behavior, and get married and you know, love the Lord and walking in truth. And now these younger ones, it's its difficult to know exactly where they're at. They're all professing faith. We had 20 some out of them get baptized a month or two ago, and it's exciting, but you don't know for sure what the level of genuine faith is. If it's cultural. Is. Yeah.
1: Of the groups that I grew up with uh... – many of them have left the faith. Uh, many of them have, have walked away and, uh, and, uh, it is uh, horrifying because when we were 18, there wasn't much difference. You know, when they were 18 and I was 18, we were, we were both going to play volleyball at the church. We all had the same. Now they've all got eyebrow piercings and nose and say, there's no God and, you know, um, up to, and including being transvestites and you go, what was so different about my experience than yours? What happened to you? Yeah. And the difference is I got born again.
0: Right?
1: <laughs> and they didn't. I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and then they didn't. And uh, it will bear itself out. He says, "What well, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're in me, you're going to bear fruit. And this is my desire for you, that you bear much fruit. That's what he wants from us. Amen. And And, and he will. Well, there. that's
0: very Very encouraging. I, I won't hold you up any longer. I know you've taken a lot of your Saturday morning here for me and it's very much appreciated. Uh, you don't do a lot of social media stuff, but your sermons and stuff are posted on YouTube. If I'm understanding correctly,
1: that's correct. Yeah.
0: What's the uh, YouTube channel?
1: Uh, Crossroads Christian fellowship, I believe.
0: Crossroads Christian fellowship. Okay. I can find the link as well and post it in the description of the video here. So
1: I don't, uh, I'm pretty bad with uh, electronic stuff.
0: I'm uh, just trying to learn it because I see the opportunity to reach. I agree.
1: Actually, I started. Uh, I started online Bible studies. I think it was 2010 because I I said uh, Paul used cutting edge technology in his day. He used did. road systems to, to mail letters. That was that was new in uh, 60 AD. That that Rome was one nation and you could mail a letter from. Corinth to roam safely and, and right. reasonably
0: and, and we'll uh, look at the printing press, you know, four or six yep. years ago. and
1: Yeah. And it's, this is, this is the cutting edge technology that's needed. Um, okay. But uh, it is uh, the preaching part's my forte. There you go. Yeah.
0: Amen. Well, I appreciate it. And I will be, you'll be on my mind a whole lot more. I'm sure.
1: I appreciate it as well. And uh, uh, pray for your kiddos, man find ministry for them. Um, the, the worst thing in the world is questioning your own faith because then it becomes about your own faith instead of about Jesus. Uh, um, get your, uh, I mean, this is just, this is just, uh, m- me thinking out loud, but, but, uh, get your son, um, preaching, get him sharing, sharing his faith with others. If nothing else, um, he can reach people on on social media that you can't reach. Right. Um, because he, he's coming from a different place. Um, get him doing a 15-year-olds um uh, uh, faith study. And um yeah, I I grew exponentially when I had to teach and still do.
0: Yeah, I, um, I can identify with that for sure.
1: Yeah, so anyway, that's for free. Appreciate it. You bad Lucy Nathan. Thank you brother. See ya.
0: Yep, see ya.